Hey, welcome everyone to The Real Investing Show. My name is Stephen Earp, and this is my co-host, uh, Taylor Davis. So welcome, Taylor. How are you, my man? I'm good, Stephen. How are you doing, sir? Good. I'm excited about our episode today, and I'm excited that we're getting a little better little by little with each episode. Absolutely. I am really excited about this particular episode because anybody who is uh, really looking to get started, that's what we're talking about today is how to how to really get started in a very easy way and not yeah. we're going to dumb this down to super simple. Awesome. So. How do we get started? So let's just jump right in. First of all, uh, if you're watching on Facebook or LinkedIn or listening on the podcast, uh, watching on YouTube, just put a put a comment there. Let us know who you are, where you're from. And uh, and also uh, post your questions about real estate, real estate investing in the comments. We'd love to do our best uh, however we can with that. So uh, so today we're going to talk about how to get started. So let me ask it this way and you can just kick it off. OK, Taylor, I'm uh, I'm I'm just wanting to get started in real estate. I have no experience. Um, how do I get started in real estate? Go. All right. So I would say with the, the way you get started in real estate, or the, one of, the easiest way to get started in real estate is utilizing your own personal residence. So uh, this term is called house hacking. And so what you're doing is you're taking advantage of the housing loans out there that are uh, built with a low down payment and a lower interest rate. And they're, they're designed for a homeowner. Um, so this could be a FHA VA uh, conventional loan. And your, your obligation when you buy that house is to live in that house for 12 months, right? Like when you get a primary residence loan, one of the things that you're saying is, I'm going to be living in this house for the next 12 months. And so by staying in a house for 12 months, but you bought it with the intent of it being a rental property. So how do you hack it to where uh, you're able to take advantage of that type of loan while creating wealth for yourself, you, you do exactly that. So, so with an FHA loan, you can actually buy up to a fourplex and, um, and, and only put three and a half percent down. Okay. So let me, let me back up a little bit, just kind of restate what you've just said so that I make sure uh, the yeah. new folks understand. So the question is, how would I get started in real estate investing if I have no experience at all? Right. And you said the answer is house hacking. That's how you get started using your primary residence in some way to get started in real estate investing. Right. And part of the reason for that is because with your primary residence, this is where you live and you have you're supposed to legally live there or commit to living there for at least six months or for at least 12 months, 12 months. Yep. And you can qualify for an FHA loan that way. And the down payment generally for an FHA loan is. Three and a half percent down. Three and a half percent down. OK, as opposed to uh, if I were to go and to buy a rental property, the conventional way, how much would I end up paying down on that? 20 percent down. So 20%. on average, I mean, average, the average conventional loan or investment loan, they're going to want 20 percent down. There are different exceptions to that if you've got a really good deal and different mm -hmm. things like that. But for the most part, rule of thumb, they're going to want 20% down. Now, imagine you get to go in and you buy a fourplex, right? Or a triplex. Okay. Uh, if you buy a triplex for $300,000, you're going to put $10,000 down on mm -hmm. that roughly as your down payment. And that's 3.5% right. down. But now you've got two properties that are paying for your mortgage, 
right? So you've right. got two units that are paying for your mortgage. You're going to live in one of those units for the next 12 months. After 12 months, you go do it again. Now, you can only have one FHA loan at a time, okay? So that's a, that is a caveat. So you so so you do that with an FHA loan, but you can go get another conventional loan 12 months later. And there are conventional loan products out there that are as little as 3% down. So you could go buy a primary residence uh, that's 3% down. And with those, it's going to be single family with a conventional loan. Um, in, at, sometimes they'll do a duplex, uh, but they won't go up to the triplex or quadplex. So uh, those start to get into different types of loans. Okay. So, so for an FHA loan, you can get up to a quad, fourplex, correct? Yeah. Yeah. On an FHA loan, but you can only get one FHA loan at a time. Correct. I, I didn't know that. I was unaware of that. Um, yeah. You're supposed to only have one FHA loan at, at a time. There are exceptions to that. Sometimes if you move, you can like, you do it. But the best thing to do is uh, if you, if you wanted to do it again, yeah. is once you have that FHA loan, you can go restructure that debt. It's actually a lot easier to restructure debt than it is to get approved in the first place. In, right. in most cases. Now, so, how do you mean when you say restructure that debt? What do you mean? Yeah, so you refinance it into a different type of loan. So yeah. instead of keeping it in that FHA loan, after a period of time, you could go refinance that into a conventional loan if you wanted to, more of a bank loan if you've got enough equity in it at that point. Uh, because market's gone up, you've also paid your debt down. So when you're able to do that, you could go do that and then go again and get use a FHA loan again to get another triplex or quadplex or duplex. But either way, you're getting someone else to pay your mortgage for you. I yeah. did this. This is really exciting to me because I did this as a 20 year old. Um, I had roommates and and we were renting a place for like, I can't even remember 14, $1,500 a month. I can't remember three bedroom, two baths. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, at the end of, of that lease, we had nothing to show for it. And I started looking around and I found a, I found a house, uh, actually a condo. And uh, I was like, man, why, why would I, my roommates are more than willing to pay rent clearly. So why not have them pay me? And so I went out and I purchased a, a condo uh, and then we shared the bedrooms and they paid rent. And I ended up living, actually made a little bit and they paid less in rent than we were paying at the other place. But I actually ended up making a little bit each month and it actually helped offset my, my bills. And so uh, like you can house hack with a single family by renting out by the room if you're in that position. But you can also house hack with a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex. You could also just utilizing the, the, the mortgage benefit of, of putting a lower down payment. If you are willing to move every year for the next, 10 years, you could just keep doing this over and over and over again, putting a little, a lower down payment, uh, and then going in and living in it for 12 months, then 12 months, you lease it out and go, go do it again. And yeah. you, you're hacking the system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I actually, one thing that I love about the house hacking concept is I've told, uh, new investors this a lot of times, like, um, and maybe we'll talk about this when we get to the Q&A, but uh, I've had a couple of people come to me who are like, hey, I have $300,000 or $200,000 or $500,000. I don't know anything about real estate, but how do I get involved? And it's like, well, 
you don't want to go out and just spend all that money if you have zero experience with renters, with the accounting, with con construction, and all that. So I, I think before you start, like before you have a lot of property, I think you need some property management experience. I think you need to deal with tenants. I think you need to deal with leases. I think you need to deal with. So I think house hacking, like renting out a room or enclosing your garage where you can rent out, you know, a small space there, something like that. Um, or the concept of a threeplex or a, tripl a triplex or a quad, uh, I think is a valuable way to get started, even if it's not just for financial reasons, even if it's for experience reasons, just so you can know how you deal with tenants and things like that. Absolutely. Um, and Which so is, there's a learning curve to that too. I mean, just like anything, right? Like, I mean, there's yeah, a learning well, curve. Yeah. It's if it's worth it. Yeah. I, I heard one time, this was years ago. I, I, I remember back in the day, do you remember Zig Ziglar? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember back in the day when I, I, my dad introduced me to him when I was like 13 and I started reading his books and listening to all of his stuff. And I remember him saying, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly until you, until you learn to do it well. Yeah. Any, yeah. yeah anything that's worth doing is worth doing poorly until you learn to do it well. And so I think that's part of the deal with house hacking is like getting some experience with renting to people um, and, and knowing like, I mean, the different types of people and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then over time, when you, when you get a lot of rentals, you can, I mean, you know, you can always hire someone to, to oversee them, oh, but, absolutely. you know, but in the beginning you, you need to really have your hands in the dirt to, to know what they're doing so that you can manage the managers. Right. Well, and a hundred percent. And there, really there's two types of investors, right? Like there's the investor that mm -hmm. is, um, you know, a pharmacist full-time works 60 hours a week. Right. He does not need to be a property manager, right? right. He just wants to put his money in uh, and get right. a return back. Property management company is perfect for that person, right? right. This is not their income. Right. Uh, what you're doing. The person that we're talking about house hacking, this person is trying to learn a skill, develop a skill and build a portfolio while not, uh, you know, and, and they're willing to trade time for money, right? Mm -hmm. They're willing to trade time for money. And this is a great way to do that. There's also some other unique ways that you can house hack. So the whole idea is how, you know, ask yourself this question. If you want a great house hack, just ask yourself the question, how do I not pay my mortgage? That should be your question. And then you figure out how to do that, right? And so that could be you rent out the, du the other side of the duplex or you have a single family home and you rent out rooms or you rent out your, you know, okay, I live in Norman, Oklahoma. Norman, yeah. Oklahoma is the home of the University of Oklahoma, big football, you know, there's six games a year and the size of our town doubles or triples during those, those weekends. Right. I could probably rent out my house and pay for roughly four or five months of mortgage if I were to wi willing to leave on those six weekends, right? And rent out my personal property. The rest of the year, I'm still living in this house, but I paid for four months of my mortgage just off renting out on those weekends. I can go to uh, a camping trip, stay with a buddy, whatever I need to do uh, for two nights. I'm, I'm really inconveniencing myself if I'm getting almost half of the year paid for for my living expenses. And so just usually the right answer starts with the right question. So ask the question, how do I get my mortgage paid for? Yeah. It, isn't it, isn't that a good question? Instead of asking, can I afford this or can I get my mortgage paid by someone else? Asking the question, how can I afford it? 
or how can I get this paid for by someone else? Right. I think that's a real key to investing in anything and especially investing in real estate, investing in businesses, entrepreneurial pursuits and things like that. Well, and we are definitely in a shifting market. Everyone knows that it's all over the news. This isn't some secret. Right. Um, Great investors ask that question constantly. The how question, right? How, how do I get ahead in today's market? How do I find a deal in today's market? How do I structure, you know, how do I get creative to structure this? You start asking the right question. It puts your brain to work. This is one of the principles from rich dad, poor dad. Like Mm -hmm. you don't say I can't, you say, how can I? And when, because I can't tells your brain to turn off and you're done. The conversation's over. There's no problem solving here. Mm -hmm. When you go into how can I, you are telling yourself there's a way I just haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. That's that's a very empowering piece. Yeah, that's good. I love that, man. So house hacking. So um, let's just review. uh, What are the different possible ways someone can use house hacking as a way to get started in real estate? So step one, you're you're taking a traditional primary home mortgage. That's going to be because you're you're going with a low, a lower payment. Uh, step two, you are figuring out a way to offset your payment. So that could be through Airbnb, individual rooms, Airbnb in your entire house some weekends and you're, you're out. By the way, that is perfectly legal. Um, you know, so you, you do have to live there as your primary residence for 12 months, but you could Airbnb it quite a bit. I mean, I, I don't know if there is a limitation on how much you can Airbnb it. It just still needs to be legally your primary residence for 12 months. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, you, you could, if you bought a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex, you get to rent out those other sides. And then when you move, now you, you know, think about this. If you bought a duplex, that's a pretty simple thing. There's duplexes everywhere. Mm-hmm. If you bought a duplex um, once a year for the next five years, you've got 10 units and you mm-hmm. did that. And yeah, you inconvenienced yourself by moving five times. Uh, yet, <laughs> I think you're going to pay for that or get paid for that a lot on the back end when you've got 10 units that are paying you back for those minor inconvenient moves. Yeah. It's got me excited, man. I'm, I'm like thinking about my moving plans for the next 10 years. You know what my biggest regret was? Like Tell if me. I could go back, I sold houses. Oh like, yeah, for sure. I sold, I sold my primary residence. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have done that. There are, I have three primary residents that I sold before mm-hmm. I started keeping them. And I'm disappointed that I let that happen because yeah. they would be amazing rentals. And I would probably have added another, I mean, like I'd probably have $300,000 in equity between them all over the course of, you know, the, those three different properties. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, but I sold them and, and yeah, I was able to turn that money into something else, but it didn't create long-term wealth. I wish I would have kept them. I, I said this one time, I had a mentor for a while here in Oklahoma city and he was an older guy that had, bazillion properties and he had a lot of land that he was developing and he told me one time he said steven i never i never sold a piece of property that i regretted selling later you know he was like that i didn't regret selling is that right yeah yeah there's i never sold a piece of property that i didn't regret selling later yeah because, because every once in a while he'll look back and say look at the value of the properties you sold sure now, I, I think back to the days when you and i we're buying and selling properties together. We were doing wholesaling mm-hmm. and we were doing a little bit of rehabs. And then we were doing taking properties subject to mm-hmm. uh, subject to properties. And like, can you imagine if we had held all of those properties that we had our hands on back then? Cause we, we were really active. We, we did quite a few, like we'd do several a month for quite a while. Well, and, and 
uh, in mo- because of the price point that a lot of those, especially our wholesale deals were in, yeah. they're now literally worth three times as much because they were in such a low price point. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. Well, but and we had a couple. Really, it is really hard in the moment. It, here's the deal. It is hard in the moment uh-huh. to delay that gratification. You see the paycheck potential 30 days from now, and that yeah. is super tangible and super easy. But yeah. if you can... If you can overcome your internal hardware that says, take that, take that, let's go. And, and listen to somebody that has regrets. Yeah. You and I both do with that. Uh, Yeah. I do think that there are strategic times to sell and and you take a property that's underperforming that you can sell, that you can go get a better performing. That's different because you're just moving it from one place to another. But when you sell it and you put that cash in your pocket, it'll never pay you again. Yeah. And you're, you're unplugging it. You're unplugging it from the wall that gives you the power. Like, yeah. 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 So, and this is what I realized. You, yeah. With, with flipping, uh-huh. you are creating a job. Yes. It, yes. You, you are with flipping, you are creating a job. Now, I, I will say this um, there is like with, uh, with rehabs, with flipping, with wholesaling, there is value in generating income if that's your number one thing that you need is income. Sure. But to, but to be honest, you have more power investing in real estate if you keep your job as long as possible. 100%. Keep your W-2 job. Yeah. Like everyone wants away from the W-2 job, but it gives you the no. ROI ability, right? Yep. Banks it's- love to see a W-2. They do yep. not like to see a self-employed person. They, right. I mean, it, yep. it just doesn't work out well. Yeah. So yeah, you, you either have to become very cash rich or you need a really strong W-2 income in order to keep qualifying for loans and things like that. So if you have a strong W-2 income, um, you can, you can really do well with real estate investing. And so, so when you, yeah. when, when you go in to qualify for a loan, there are really two things they're looking at. Mm-hmm. One of them is your credit score and everybody tends to focus on that. And the other one is your DTI or debt to income ratio. Mm-hmm. And so they want to see that all of your debt can be serviced with less than a, a certain percentage of your income, usually less than 50% of your income. So mm-hmm. all of your, any payments, student loans, anything like that, uh, that's debt, they want to see that below the 50% mark. Here's what the beautiful thing about house hacking does Mm-hmm. is you can go in, let's say you bought a, a duplex yeah. and it, you're renting out one side for $1,000 a month and you're paying uh, you know, $1,400 a month for your, your payment. Now, you're, it's not offsetting your entire mortgage, yet when you move out, it does. They're going to count the lease that you have in place. If you've got a 12-month lease, they're mm-hmm. going to count it something 75 to 80% of that rent, they're going to count as income. So you've got that lease in place for a thousand dollars a month. They're now saying you make $800 more a month than you did. And it, it actually, they can help qualify you mm-hmm. to buy that duplex by the renter that's already in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. That's good. I love it. Hey, let's, uh, let's jump into, let's do six or seven minutes of straight Q and a and then for those of you who are watching, we're going to we're going to record another episode right after this. 
So our plan is to do six or seven minutes of Q and A, and then we will uh, we'll we'll stop. We'll start a brand new episode. So you can, if you're watching live, hang around, um, and you can uh, you can watch live again. So um, so some some Q and A. Um, how about if I kick it off? Okay. Uh, so Taylor, why should people watch the Real Investing Show? Because you should always be learning. You should always be like your number one job as an investor is to be more educated than the other investors around you. And you should find multiple sources that you like, know, and trust that you believe in the ethics that they're saying and that are going to give you sound advice. And I, I know my heart and your heart are in the same place in helping people. And uh, it's a free tool that you can use to educate yourself and get an advantage. Um, there are other free tools and that's great. There are a lot of tools out there that cost a lot of money. A lot of people want to, you know, make $10,000 for dispensing, um, you know, the advice that, that we're giving freely. And so that, uh, yeah, that would be it. <laughs> Good. Love it. All right. You got any questions? I got you. All right. Especially with the house hack. This is a tough one. Okay. How do I get my significant other on board? How do you get your significant other on board with house hacking? First of all, this is not an investing question. This is a <laughs> marriage counseling question. So it's a little unfair, but I would say you need to know your spouse. Make sure you have a good relationship. Big deal is this. Do not do something that your spouse is opposed to. Because I will tell you this. Forget about investing. Forget about finances. A bad marriage will be the worst financial decision you ever make. Okay. So true. So the first thing, if you want to do well in real estate investing, have a good marriage or else good luck. Okay. Um, so yeah, how to get your spouse on board. I would just, I would just bring your spouse because usually you have someone in a marriage that's really aggressive and like, let's go, 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 go. And one that's a little more conservative and a little more needing of security. And I don't think there's a gender bias one way or the other, honestly. No, I don't think so. Um, so I, I would just say this, the one that's really excited and aggressive about investing slowly bring the other person along. And let me tell you something. If you cannot sell and bring along your spouse on your investing journey, then you are not committed enough to it to make it happen. Like you have got to bring your spouse along. Do not try to do real estate investing without your spouse's support. 100%. You got another one for me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, let's see. We've talked about how a lot of real estate investing shows and a lot of gurus are uh, really bombastic and exciting. And our show is kind of like low key and it's not super duper exciting with sound bites. Why is our show a little more low key? Um, I, okay, so for me, I love to set and manage expectations. I don't want to be the person that is uh, th that is telling you a falsehood or giving you false hope. So I would rather go a little deeper, go a little longer, maybe not have that exact beautiful little soundbite that some of these uh, people have a knack for having. Uh, I am passionate about this. And every now and then you'll see me get a little bit more impassioned about it. Yeah. For the most part, I really subscribe to like the stoicism of like practical advice doesn't have to be flashy. It mm -hmm. just needs to be practical advice. Good. I love it. Oh yeah. I got to give you a question now. All right. Um, 
How do you screen a good tenant? Great question. How do you screen a good tenant? First of all, um, you want a really robust um, application. I would check all of their references. I would check their credit. I would charge them a $25 to $50 fee to apply, especially in this market right now. Um, and I, you might even consider setting something up as though if, you're, if you've got someone you're signing a 12-month lease with them, you're really loaning them money for 12 months. So consider it like you're extending them credit for a 12-month period of time. So I call all the references. Uh, I, I, I look them up on in our state. You use OSCN to see if mm -hmm. people have uh, judgments against them. OSCN.net in our state. Um, but I would, yeah, I, I do a credit check and everything else. So that's what I do to screen tenants. I call old landlords. I see why they left their place. I mean, you'll be surprised. People put references on rental, uh, uh, rental applications and they give bad references. Oh, all yeah. the time. So yeah. that's what I would do. Robust. If you get a good tenant, a robust rental application, call every reference, run a credit check, charge them an application fee. Have you ever driven by a potential tenant's house to see what it looked like? I have. I have. And I've looked, I've, I always check out their cars too. When I go to meet them, like if they open their car door and it's got trash falling out of it, guess what? I'm not renting to them right. because if they got trash falling out of their car, they're going to have trash falling out of the house too. Well, so yeah. I've definitely yeah. driven by before just yeah. to see the outside of, you know, the house that they're currently leasing. Yeah, how's the lawn? How, how do they, how are they yeah. treating it? Yeah. Um, and the fewer rentals you have, the more active you want to be in doing that. On your very first rental, take an extra week, take an extra two weeks, take an extra three weeks, run the credit check, um, you know, drive by, drive by their existing home, call their existing landlord. Do not just slam someone into a property because they applied and you have a vacancy. 100%. And if you're not getting quality tenants to apply, lower your price. It's not worth a higher monthly payment or a higher rental rate to have a headache. Trust I, me. I agree so much. I learned that from Larry Burkett in the late 90s when I first bought my first rental property. Uh, Larry Burkett, I don't know if you know who he is. He was sort I of like... Yeah, okay, so Larry Burkett, everybody knows Dave Ramsey. Larry Burkett yeah. was like the Dave Ramsey before Dave Ramsey. Okay. okay. And uh, he had a program, I think it was called Money Matters. But... Uh, but anyway, cool. yeah, he, he used to be on like all the faith-based Christian radios and stuff. And, um, and anyway, Larry Burkett said, get your, get your rental about 5 to 10% below the market value. And then once you get a good tenant, just leave them in there forever and treat them really well and keep them in there. So that's, that's what another thing. Treat your tenants well. Like you get what you put out there. And when you take care of the people that are taking care of your property, it's going to work out a lot better for you. I'll also say, uh, I'd like to add one more piece to that. Uh, well, two things that I look for to make sure on the screening piece yeah. that I would want to make sure of is one, I really want their household income to be roughly three times or greater than the rent. So if, if the rent's $1,000 a month, their household income, I want to be around $3,000 a month. Yeah. or more. And then two, I want them to have a credit score that's damageable. Not because I want to damage their credit, but I want them to have something that they're concerned about if they don't follow through with their side of the deal. Mm -hmm. So, 
No. Great stuff. Well, I think that's all we have for this episode. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, keep watching. We were gonna we're gonna record another episode just in about three minutes from now. So keep watching this page live. And uh, thank you guys so much for watching the Real Investment Show. Taylor, I'll see you in a few. Mm -hmm.